Hola. Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by my buddy who is now south of the border in Acapulco, return guest to NCR. You know him, you love him, especially if you watch any challengers on the USCA Pro Circuit. It's Mike Cation. Mike, how's Mexico treating you? Hi. Uh, I realized the day before I came down to Acapulco, this is actually the first time I'd ever been to Mexico which I was embarrassed to realize the day before I left. But yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I am excessively white and <laughs> like dying from the heat, uh, the humidity. Um, every day the feels like temperature has been in the 110 plus range. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine what it's been like on court as well. But it's you know, it's pretty cool seeing the, the six o'clock starts and how that that all comes about. And obviously that helped us set a record down here in Acapulco earlier in the week. Um, but it's, it's been really cool kind of just getting a different um, taste. I, I mean, I've been to Wimbledon. I've obviously been to the Australian Open before as well. But this was, this is unique. And it's been a lot of fun just seeing the passion of the tennis fans down here in Acapulco. This tournament has grown so much in stature over especially since the last like five, six, seven years, since it really switched to hardcore, I think actually was a big way that it really kind of hit this next level. And then started attracting and started, you know, honestly paying for a lot of big players to come and now has a field that outpulls Dubai, which was always one of the big marquee events of February. And the Acapulco field has been stronger for the last several years now. Yeah, just what is it like on the ground? They have a new, the stadium's bigger this year. Um, I'm not sure what exactly the capacity is. Maybe you, you can tell me that. And then like, just sort of seeing all these, these loaded, loaded lineups at this pretty condensed event. Like you said, they start late because of the heat. It's pretty much only a night session tournament, which is pretty cool in its yeah. own way. Yeah, what's it like? It just feels like a really, really cool showcase event. It's still a little bit off the beaten path of the, you know, it's not a Masters or a Slam, obviously, but it's probably, you know, arguably the biggest 500 at this point. I Yeah, I think that's, that's a great point. It's a 10,000 seat, 10,000-ish um, seat stadium, um, along with a grandstand court, and then two additional courts, courts one and two, um, a couple of practice courts on site, a couple of practice courts mm-hmm. here at the hotel, which is a roughly four minute drive away. It's very close. I, I can t- say that some of the grizzled veterans that I work with are uh, they, they, they kind of lament the fact that the, the old stadium used to be literally a stone's throw from the hotel. And so you could literally walk on the beach to the uh, old stadium. And so they missed that. But yeah, the, the grounds are, are wonderful, and they still have plans to continue to expand it. Um, because of COVID, the delays for building the stadium and getting some of the extras done, such as the um, uh, just the sponsor areas, some of the vendor areas, those are still to be finished. Um, and I, I tell you, I arrived Friday, got on the grounds, uh, yeah, Friday night. I just went and just checked everything out. The fact that they got everything ready for a full public on Monday and from Friday to Monday, it was round the clock construction. It was amazing. Um, the fan experience is the part that's going to, I think, grow and grow here in Acapulco. But the crowds are are nuts. It's so much fun being down there. They've been having parties that last until four in the morning, regardless of whether tennis is happening or not. It's it's a week long party. And I've really enjoyed just kind of seeing it because, you know, I, I think we do kind of get stuck in this, you know, this is how tennis is supposed to be. And it's you start at 10 and you just go until it finishes. And I mean, listen, we we can well, I know we'll talk about the the late, late night, but 
people just enjoy the experience here. Um, and it, it's just the passion is phenomenal. And the field itself, it, I mean, yeah, I mean, listen, it's, I don't think, you know, you, if you're playing in the late match, the 10 o'clock or the 11 o'clock match, you have that worry that you could potentially be starting late, very, very late. But outside of that, I think the, the 6 and the 8 o'clock match start times, the players seem to really enjoy that too. Um, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And you can adjust and it's functional because of the heat, like the heat during the midday is oppressive for both. You can't play. No, it's oppressive for fans and players alike. And also, like, I'm just always in favor of moving as many matches as possible out of the normal nine to five work day. I Agreed. think tennis events starting like that a Grand Slam starts at, on a Monday morning. I think it's the most anticlimactic like time to ever possibly start a major sporting event. I've said that I've railed against that many times. And most tournaments to start on Monday mornings for their main draws on the tour level and some Tuesday mornings occasionally. But yeah, generally during the work day having a tournament that's sort of all prime time, I think is, is really a cool thing if you can do it. And yeah, Washington, uh, my home tournament, used to routinely start at 4 p.m. Ishe just to avoid the heat too, which just makes it essentially a largely, you know, after work kind of kind of tournament as well. I think that's a, a positive development and something more places honestly should do. And I think to add to that, the ability, especially on the first few days or as many days as possible to have, you can go from court to court to court to court and bounce around um, especially in the evening, uh, I, I think it's fantastic. And yeah, it's you can you can really just get the sense that people will go over here, have a couple drinks, go check out the grandstand, then they'll move on over to court number one before coming into the stadium for Nadal at eight o'clock, which he's been lucky enough to get up until uh, the semifinal that that we're going to have. We're recording on what is today, Friday, mm -hmm. um, right before this the semifinal. But it's been a really interesting, again, for me, just to see a different way of running a tournament and how successful it is because of the fact that people can work and then just come out and really enjoy just a very enjoyable night and tennis to boot. And I think that's really a business model that I think we need to explore more and more. So you are known for, obviously, on the pro circuit, being up close and personal with these players courtside doing lots of interviews, knowing this crew really well. You're getting to know a different level of players this yeah. week on court in uh, one crossover person who we'll, we'll talk about in a bit. But yeah. uh, one, uh, what has it been like for you being on court with uh, Monday's world number one, Daniil Medvedev, and someone like yeah. Nadal? What, what's that been like uh, as an experience for you this week? Yeah, Rafa was the one that that was intimidating, obviously. Doing, doing my first sit-down, one-on-one interview was really cool. I, I, I try not to do these kind of things, but I had people take some photos for me just so that I would be able to remember that. In, and what I'll always remember is, um, obviously, as you know, Ben, his English is very good, um, but there was... It's gotten much I, better, by the way. Yes. It's underrated I, how much better his English has gotten. Even like year on year, like even this year, it's better than it yes. was three years ago. Yeah. Totally. There was there was one and I can't I can't even remember what it was, but there was one phrase that I said that that clearly it didn't quite click over for him. And I saw the the intensity in the eyes, you know, we're <laughs> a few feet away and I could just see he was uh, frustrated that he couldn't get it. And you could see those eyes just get a little bit like angry. And I was like, oh, my God, this is this must be what it's like to be on the other side um, of the intensity. Right. And so it was. It was really cool to be able to see that very kind, very friendly with his time. He's been great on court during those interviews. Daniil is such a pro, Ben. Um, yeah. I mean, he is polished, smart, and engaging. In, in those on-court interviews, he's, he's fantastic. Yeah, and so we also had time with um, Sasha before everything happened, um, Steph, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Cam Nori. Cam Nori's such a fantastic story. I've known him for for so long as well as he really came through the challengers a few years ago as well. But I, I think for me, more than anything, just that that casual reminder that we don't always get that these are human beings and um and just just the fun interactions uh with them. And it's it's good to also for me catch up with some of the guys who I have seen for many years. Always getting to see Cam now with the success that he's having has has been a lot of fun. Tommy Paul, who I hadn't seen in a while, had a, a very solid run here into the quarterfinals. Marcos Giron as well. So um yeah, it's just, you know, it, it, the 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 gap is not that that large as as I often like to say. So it's um good to catch up with old friends and yeah, meet some new ones as well. On your on your own sort of personal and like what's so you obviously you've done tons of interviews with players and you've done you've called matches that involve mm. the you know top top men's players as well. But like what is it like sort of preparing to talk to a Medvedev and at all, like for you personally, like professionally? Because you obviously it's one of those things like you know you have the skill set to do this, but it's still like never been quite on this sort of altitude at the same time. Yeah, it's um the thing you have to remember is, as I said, they're, they're human beings, right? They they yeah. are, I think, too often maybe uh, I don't do a great job in the bigger interviews of listening um, because of the fact that maybe, as I'm not used to it quite yet with, say, Nadal or Medvedev, I, I'm still a little bit overwhelmed by the moment. But I think through the week, it's actually gotten just a little bit better for me. Again, just the repetition type of a thing as it is for anybody at their job, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's it ultimately it's just it's the same thing. We're we're storytellers, um, whether it's in this job for me working with the ATP media and the tennis TV group or whether I'm doing a challenger match. We're, we're here to tell stories and do the best job we can of making sure that, you know, whether it be Rafael Nadal or Stefan Kozlov, we're telling the story accurately and well so that it's engaging and interesting. So more people are are. You know, from from my standpoint and where you and I differ sometimes is, uh, you know, being house media, um, the kind of media that represents the ATP or the challengers yeah. versus what you do. Obviously, we're we're here to promote just the, that positive side. So um, I, I, I take pride in that and try to do the best I can of of making sure that those stories are told accurately and well and, and, and engaging. One person who I've watched a lot of at the challenger level with you calling his matches who made a big impression on folks in his first match in or first main draw match in Acapulco was the aforementioned Stefan Kozlov, yeah. who has really risen uh, pretty quickly in these last few months, won a couple challengers in the fall, won the wild card into the Australian Open that the USTA gives for exemplary fall performance, went around there, played Berrettini pretty tough in the second round. And then he gets, can you, can you describe what, what his day was uh, in, in Acapulco? And then we'll talk about the match. Yeah. I mean, the match itself was remarkable and, and really sort of kicked off that that crazy night of tennis yeah it wasn't the first match it was the one that really kind of made things more nuts the first match was correct well it was normal but it was still long yeah uh that's that was the the part about it that was so weird it was isner yeah isner isner and isner and verdasco that's right and then verdasco refused to shake hands at the end but that anyway Stefan Kozlov loses in final round of qualifying on sunday night doesn't really think much of it, but is number one on the lucky loser list. Decides to try to relax a little bit on Monday. Goes out jet skiing with his coach and uh, trainer. He uh, flips his jet ski in the middle of the ocean and then starts getting swept towards the rocks. 
jet ski gets heavily damaged. He's sitting in the water, literally floating in the water with a life vest for about 20 minutes while his trainer goes and gets his jet ski to go get help. So he's just sitting there wondering if a shark or a jellyfish or something is going to bite him. Gets through that uh, disaster of a day. Then it has a practice scheduled with Rafael Nadal, just playing with Rafa, um, a practice set they'd hit for a while, then a practice set with Rafa, who was not going to play that day, was playing the next day. And then it's three all, first point of the Nadal service game in this practice set at three all. Uh, Kozlov wins it because Nadal breaks a string. And as Koz, Koz told me afterwards, he just had this premonition that he had to go look at his phone. So while Nadal's getting a new racket, he looks at his phone and he has 20 plus messages from the tournament saying, hey, you need to get here over to court ASAP. You're on in just a little bit with Grigor Dimitrov because of the fact that Maxim Cressy had a stomach bug. So all of a sudden uh, he's in the tournament. Obviously, as you know all too well, you battle with Rafael Nadal that is excessive on the body. Um, So you don't hydrate in the way you probably need to uh, for a a proper tennis match at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, whatever it was. So he comes in, plays the first set, somehow wins the tiebreak despite the fact that Dimitrov had plenty of opportunities. This whole match is so good. It was like a peak Kozlov match. And yes. it was a great crash course of seeing Kozlov do Kozlov things at this level where he's really yes. just junk balling 90% yes. of the time. And Dimitrov like looked silly out there at points because, and this is something that, you know, like these great junk ballers, whether it's Kozlov, whether it's like probably it's people, honestly, probably seem more of like Madison Brengel on the women's side who like just gives like no pace, really disrupts big hitters, yes. throws them off. And so like, yes, Grigor was missing these shots that just looked terrible. But if you're watching Kozlov, he's doing things to take Grigor constantly out of his comfort zone. And yeah, and it, it was a, it was a fascinating yeah, he has that. Stefan has that hand skill to just redirect, absorb your pace, and just move you around. And it doesn't look like he's doing much, but he is doing something. And the ball's just like higher than you want, or lower than you want, or just like it's always right. just like not in your strike zone. It's Correct. Yeah. That being said, the missed volley from Dimitrov, and I, I can't remember the exact score, but it was a set point for him where he had a high backhand volley and just instead of just like literally all he had to do was just block block the volley into the court points over he wins the set and he just goes for that flashy style volley right through and just smacks it right into the top of the tape and like if the agony of his collapse after that right right he hits the court like oh my god and it's uh if he puts that volley in probably a straight set win and we're done and we don't really tell this fun story but instead he misses that and then kozlov steals the first set and then the cramping in the second set where Kozlov, and it was a full-on, full-on cramp. There is yeah. no doubt if you saw the pictures, if you saw the close-up video with his leg, like, taut. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, it was, yeah, it, it was it was quite serious. And probably, Ben, I think he was probably given a little bit too much time and lenience to to deal yeah. with it, with, yes. you know, with the, with the rules. I think that's probably fair. Um, and to Grigor's credit, he didn't make a big deal of it. He probably could have, and I don't. Grigor made a little deal of it. But he probably a lot of players would have done a lot more. Yeah. Correct. Um, but Kozlov, I know there were some Pedialyte that was brought out to him on court, and just somehow found his way through it because of the excessive time that the, the finish of that second set. And then, 
You know, he started going for a little bit more. It kind of freed him up. He was thinking about that instead of maybe overthinking what he was trying to do and just playing. Won that that second set, setting up a match with Nadal in the in the second. And I mean, it's just just a phenomenal story because um, as as I've said, uh, you know, and, and I, we did a podcast with him, Noah, Ruben, and I. Um, he's been through a lot. Kaz has been through an awful lot. Just two years ago, he's about five hundred in the world. Um, really struggling to have any motivation to play at all without promoting my, my podcast too much on yours, Ben, but I, I, go for it. Go for it. We did a, we did a, it was a really introspective interview with him and he just talked about the, the difficulties he's had just trying to find his way back after such an incredible junior career and this level of dedication he's had over the last year to start in 15 Ks literally about a year ago now. And then find his way back into challenger main draws and then just start really having that big run in the fall and playing in his first Grand Slam ever. First Grand Slam main draw ever in January after, again, like Grand Slam finals as a junior. That's remarkable that it's it's taken him that long. He he was in a, a challenger final at 16 back in in Sacramento against Sam Query. I mean, it's like, holy hell, this kid has so much. And. Uh, it's such a great redemption story, the work that he's put in, um, and he's a fun, spirited player and one that's really fun to watch as well. So I'm I'm happy he had the moment, and I hope that he continues just to build on it. Yeah, no, it's been it's been great seeing him knowing his story, knowing having known him as a junior, and yeah. what like and like you said, like absolutely elite junior, made two junior Slam finals, um, and just that it wasn't coming from him. And he also didn't get like as much help as he might have. I mean, he, he was certainly in range for a couple of us open wild cards especially that he didn't for get. sure and um and then you could could maybe feel a little bit hard done by it at times from that um and, but then yeah but then his ability to sort of like you said start back to the bottom earn his way up and be playing you know just seeming like a lot more professional kind of presence on tour at this point um is really cool yeah and that win over dimitrov obviously you moved on to sort of the the match you got next against it all but like the win against dimitrov is already the biggest win of his career i think so that's a that's a a big statement win over someone like dimitrov and obviously it came with you know ridiculous highs and lows and stuff and stories right. being marooned at sea along the way <laughs> and other sort of goofy things about it and it was happening like really late at night and all this sorts of stuff but it, it, that was impressive that was it was that's a, that's and... a good introduction to a, a wider you know atp kind of fan base to see to win that kind of match and seeing Nadal in these uh listen he's knocked out three Americans so far to get to the semifinals uh in in Kudla and then Kozlov and Tommy Paul last night um and it was it's been really interesting to see some of these young Americans especially in in Kaz and and Tommy Paul bagels in both first sets but then like once they kind of settle down and get over that intimidation, just like I can, I can actually play with these with these guys. And the second set, Nadal and Kozlov was entertaining, and last night's um, Nadal and Tommy Paul second set was actually really pretty high level. While Nadal was struggling with his very, very, very sweaty shorts and shoes, um, I don't, I don't know if you saw Ben, but he he literally couldn't put a ball in his pocket because it was too wet, <laughs> um, and his shoes were. So Sopping wet, and he told me afterwards that he'd forgotten to uh, bring an extra pair of shoes. So there's Ooh. a lot, a lot going on here. Uh, but yeah, that that redemption story is going to be one that sticks with me for a while, and I hope he continues. Yeah, no, it'll be hope- good to see him. Hopefully, build some momentum and Indy Wells in Miami. Uh, we hope, and and yeah, see how he keeps rolling because he was somebody who to segue, he's just as a segue, like was in the junior mix with players. Like I'm looking at this 2014 
Australian Open uh, boys mm-hmm. chart. He beat Rublev in the quarters of that tournament, two yeah. and one. So he was in that yeah. league, and then he lost in the final to uh, Alexander Zverev, who yes. became the uh, who played the match after Kozlov in this late night in Acapulco. Yes. Went really late. I couldn't stand for this whole thing. Um, yeah. But but Brooksby uh, played great. Uh, had chances uh, in the second set. One of those ones where. Zverev was just kind of like, it was, it was playing pretty slow out there, and Zverev was just being a backboard a lot of times. And uh, Brooksby's obviously also kind of a backboard by default. And so yes. just some long, grueling stuff. Brooksby was able to show a lot of his potential, just couldn't quite Correct. close the match. Um, anyway, so that's the longest ever, latest ever finish. Uh, what was the official time? 4.55? 4.54? four okay. AM for right. finishing a match. So that's, that's yeah. nuts, but... Both players seemed honestly happy with it. Zverev was excited in what he said to like have been part of history. He was he was into it. Less than 24 hours later, however, he was out of it because yeah. Zverev plays a doubles match with his uh, longtime buddy Marcelo Mello uh, out on, on an mm-hmm. outer court. They lose to the team of Glasspool and Haley Ovara. Kind of a non-event, you would think, but it becomes an event because Zverev um, loses his cookies uh late screaming at the umpire over a, a call um which a lot which this call didn't even seem that bad to me honestly in the video like the line judge immediately called the ball in the chair umpire didn't do anything disrupt it and for some reason even though neither of them had a great angle on it from where they were standing on the court honestly like Zverev and then Mello got very upset with this call anyway they lose the match a point later they get aced or something somewhere like that and um Zverev uh attacks the the umpire physically by sm- slashing his racket uh near the umpire's legs hitting the chair repeatedly four times in yeah. all and cursing up a storm while doing this before and after and people the video starts circulating so obviously not many people are watching this match uh and then yeah soon enough we find out that Zverev has been uh has been withdrawn to use withdraw as a transitive verb which really means defaulted or kicked out of the tournament what is it like for you at a tournament at this level, especially, and you've been obviously you were there for like you know Darian King or other sort of other yeah. shit does go down at the Daniel challenger Medvedev. level. Yeah, Daniel Medvedev, Daniel, you were on, yeah. on the court where he got defaulted. That's right. Um, against yeah. Donald Young, what was what was it like? What was that? What was that night like as that as that was all unfolding on site? Yeah, it was it was it was so unique because it was the first night of uh, Sasha was the 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 big seed that played on stadium court on the first night, right? So then the second night was Medvedev, Tsitsipas and Nadal all on um, center court. So everybody's paying attention to that just because, again, that that first really huge night of, of you know, play on Estadio. And so everybody's attention is there. Um, I was doing what, what I, what I, what I do help with the, um, you know, on court walk on with, uh, my very good cameraman, Brucey, and then do some of those post-match interviews and also try to get some other interviews that we were doing with Matteo Bertini, Cam Nori and, and others who were late arrivals. Um, and so I, I, I had no clue. I saw the score line and frankly, I, I actually found out from Lloyd Glasspool what happened. Yeah. He, he came up to me and he said, what did you think? And I said, of what? <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't checked my, my phone. I hadn't checked any social media for a while. Um, so I hadn't seen it. And then you just, you saw the, it's just a buzz around, around the grounds of everybody kind of seeing it on social media, seeing what had happened. Right. And, um, in, in those moments, it, it immediately just turns into the speculation of what happens next. 
Um, just like, okay, so what is what does this compare to? What have you seen that this compares to Plushkova a couple years ago, right? Um, I, I, I don't know how you compare it to any of the times where where players are yelling at a at a chair umpire. It's so obviously very different when there's yeah. the the actual slashing motion. And I think it's different um, even than one of the other ones we got compared to for sure was Djokovic at the U.S. Open uh, in 2020, where Djokovic yeah. hit hit that woman in the throat with a ball. But there was no sense that he was targeting it at no her. intent, right? No, like right. it was complete. It was reckless for sure, but um, it wasn't. There was no no sense of malice at any point. In that. Right. Whereas Not this was much more clearly targeted at this person who was sitting in the chair and at his ankles. Yeah, it's it, it was it was a tough one to watch, and I think yeah, you 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 get the sense at at a tournament like this when you are kind of behind the scenes, everybody. It, it it they took it pretty seriously, uh, yeah. understandably, right? And um, so yeah, there's. I, I think Ben, there was the mix of genuine concern, obviously for what had happened, and also, frankly, empathy um, for Sasha Zverev. I, I I don't know how else to say it uh, other than that. I think there is. I think people just. There are a lot of players who truly care about him trying to find a way to a, a good positive point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I, I think that's there is a, a sense of genuine concern for him in, in a situation like that. And I, obviously, I, I know um, you're, you, where you're you're you've come from and the stories you've done with him and things like that. But it was it, that's that was my yeah. sense. Yeah. You know, being on on the grounds that there is a lot of actual empathy for Sasha and how to get him to a place where something like that doesn't happen. So that I will say that was heartening to see that there is a lot of actual concern for him, um, the person. And so I was I was I was happy to see that. Let me ask one last question about this. Then, just from that sort of side, yeah. you're saying the concern. Were people surprised by this? Um, I think I think surprised by the yeah the the intensity of it. Yeah. Um, I think, I think, yeah, for sure. The, the surprise was the intensity of it. Um, but yeah, yeah that, that, just again, that, that level of genuine concern for him so that something like that never happens again. Um, and, and obviously the allegations are, are, are certainly a paramount for so many people. And that was obviously one of the first things that came out on social media. And that wasn't, yeah. you know, that, that doesn't, that doesn't come up here very often at like on, on site. I think that's, you know, that's, I think, for one of those things where it's uh, for the ATP to decide. Obviously, at this point, but yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting to me because I didn't, I didn't expect the empathy to be what it was, Ben. Hmm. But yeah, that was, that was certainly a major part of what I saw the other night. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, as people have obviously a lot of media and a lot of fans were bringing up the the accusations against him in the light of this this display, and. Um, for better or worse, it was coming up a lot in the, in, in the you know sort of hours after that, and then yeah, you see um, yeah, but you're right. The, there hasn't been, but the players who've been asked about it that I've seen, Nadal and Djokovic over in Dubai, most namely, you know, have sort of ex- expressed sort of concern for him. There is yeah, they're not. He's not as ostracized, I think, by the group. Let's say uh, as maybe people would think he he would be uh, at this point. Correct. Um, so it's interesting sort of insight there. One other person who's in this 2014 Australia Open boys draw I want to mention, uh, <laughs> who lost in the third round to Hyun Chung, uh, is Daniil Medvedev, who yeah. this week in Acapulco um, 
was already in position to possibly get uh, the number one ranking, depending on what happened also with Dubai and Novak Djokovic's run there and Djokovic's first tournament of the year. Djokovic, obviously, we know, has been is not playing a full schedule these days because of his unvaccinated status and sticking to that, um, which is making his scheduling uh, difficult and very much curtailed. So Medvedev is there. I'm curious, was there, what was, was there buzz around this possible story of having this guy get crowned yeah. number one? And, and then what was it like when it actually actually happened for him? Yeah, uh, 100%. Um, being at that media day, it was a very crowded media day where there were literally seven television setups, including ours, in a row. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, back to back to back to back to back. And obviously, he got asked about it at every every seat. That's question number one. And um, I, you know, we obviously talked about it right after his win yesterday as well, his first match after essentially receiving that number one ranking. No. Um, he, he handled it very, very well professionally, as you would expect, just with that idea, Ben, of, you know, I, I'm happy it w- will be there if, if I have the opportunity. I'm very excited. This has, you know, been lifelong dream type of a thing, but you know, it's, it's one week and I have big goals for myself and this is one of them and hopefully I'll get there if it's not this week the next um and then yesterday you know he he handled it very well again just saying you know simply I'm glad it's I'm glad it's there it's a great accomplishment but I'm here to to work and do some business um you know and so he's he's got business to attend to but yeah all the players are cognizant of it I, I think from the younger players, when I talked to Bertini about it and Steph about it, and even even Rafa, um, just this understanding that this this was coming, and it's in some ways good to see it there. Um, Rafa's clearly not done. Novak's clearly not done. But to see one of these guys not only now win a slam, but also get that number one ranking, it shows that there's this finally next group who is actually there and pushing um and yeah i think i'm i i don't know about you i'm fascinated to see novak's response over the next few months um in terms of his play and obviously as you mentioned with the unvaccinated status a lot to be decided about where he can play yeah um but you you certainly anticipate from novak just that that ferocity of competition that he can bring uh with incredible talent and so i'm interested to see the response and i i i will say i this clay court season is going to be fascinating for me once we get there yeah when again we have to like you mentioned we have to see where and when Novak can play because it's going to yeah. be a patchwork and it's going to be a lot of things that are uncertain. And he basically kind of said um, he doesn't expect to play any Wells or Miami. He doesn't think he can get into the U S right now. So I don't think he's officially withdrawn from Indian Wells yet, but I think that he's not right. expecting to be able to play there. And then, and then yes, we'll see where he does surface and he seems pretty committed to not getting vaccinated. That doesn't seem like something that's really going to uh, change for him. So, and he seems somewhat at peace with that. If, if a bit overly passive, about it. He's sort of saying, well, you know, kind of out of my hands, but really it's not in his hands. It could be in his arm. He chose it to be. Uh, anyway, yeah. So we'll see how that how that all goes and how how if, if he is able to, to mount a sort of resistance or and, and how tough it is for him to be, you know, essentially a part timer. We've seen that right. this be tough with like, you know, certainly Serena Williams, let's say on the other side, you know, it's tough, especially as you get older. Yes. And, and Novak hasn't had experience doing it the way that Serena did for many years um, where she made it work. But if you're really picking your spots, you're open to, you know, taking more bad L's than you normally would if you don't have the rhythm and the match experience and things can fall apart, you know, relatively suddenly. Like that's an unexpected loss for Novak to Yuri Vesely. 
uh, this week uh, in Dubai. Vesely played well, and Vesely's now two and zero against Novak, which is kind of amazing. Right, but interesting. But uh, but yeah, but it's still something that's you know it's it's tough to not be a full time member of the tour and try to still beat the best when the level that those guys set is just so consistently high. So the um, the yeah. good thing is there are. You know, especially on the men's tour right now, Ben, there are there are enough events that if, you know, if if obviously, yeah, you, Novak, I'm sure, wants to be playing Indian Wells in Miami, right? But there are going to be other opportunities. Should he want to play a 250 somewhere, he can certainly play a 250. I mean, that would obviously be quite as, I mean, your eyes are opening when I say that. If, but. He, if he can, I mean, like, no, I mean, well, certainly, I believe that Belgrade's back on the schedule of 250s this year, so he'll almost certainly play there. And then, yeah, but yeah. I just, but it's just, I'm not sure. And I kind of get exhausted by, and I talked about this in the last show. I don't want to get too much into, into Novak's whole <laughs> saga, but, you know, having to know what the immigration rules are going to be for Spain, for Italy, for any, insert any other country, France, obviously UK for the next two slams. Like, I don't want to devote too much research to re, uh, effort to learning and the ever shifting rules for all these countries as well. Yeah. And him making it just compli- life complicated for himself that way. Uh, but yeah, but, but Medvedev, I think is it's 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 really good to have a, a new person there. It's been arguably pretty stagnant at the top of the men's game, not having anyone break through. And Medvedev has only quote unquote won one Grand Slam at this point, but he still uh, very much has proved himself to be worthy of being the best right now. And and he's Agreed. yeah, I, th- I think he's a very uh, very strong number one and someone who, like you said, has a ton of charisma in his way is incredibly engaging to talk to. I think he's a very good sort of uh, f- uh, figurehead in that way for, for I tennis. Agree. Yeah. He's a, he's, he's a fun guy as well. I mean, like you, you get the sense that he is able to be himself. Yeah. Um, one question I asked him um, just after listening to him for a while, when we were talking and heard him talk a little bit about Marat Safin, just his, he, it's important for him. Authenticity is important for him. Yes. And being true to him, oneself is important to him, and and I really just get that sense from him, and I I I, I really respect it because I do think that's it's such a crucial part of who he is, and I hope that continues because that's the idea that image thing. You know, he's he's not overly concerned with it. He just goes out, does his business, but is so engaging because that's just who he is as a human. So I I hope that continues for him. Um, but yeah, as you said, he's absolutely primed and ready to be the figurehead for men's tennis. You mentioned uh, that you were around him because he's someone who did play USDA Pro Circuit events uh, yeah. for a bit. What was what was he like back then? And did you have any sense quiet. when you were watching him that he was a future number one? No, um, quiet. We had him just for two, I believe, two events. I think that's right, maybe three. But it was the green clay stretch um, in April. 2014 or 15 i think 15 mm-hmm. um yeah and he he i the, the one that was infamous was his loss to donald young where he was accused of um of a racial comment um at the time and he was defaulted from that match and and i then i believe he then played tallahassee right afterwards quiet unassuming obviously it was so unique his strokes were unique back then his strokes have always no. been so unique and I, you could tell that there was, I mean, obviously very gifted. You could, That was very clear. Um, but what I've said, num- number one, no. I mean, I've, I, I think I've even said to you, I think you asked me or someone asked me at some point, Ben, like who, who, who did I know like right away it was going to be? 
and it's it's a very short list. I mean, it's I could tell right away that Kyrios was going to be there. I could tell right away that Yannick Sinner was going to be there. It's but it's it's very short. I mean, I I yeah. wouldn't have said Cam Norrie is a top ten guy, but look look what he is. I mean, that's the thing. Some some players that just I think. Daniil and and Cam are both really good examples of guys who just make that good, slow, steady progress that just continues to build and build and build. Yeah. Um, and it's not just it's not just like Sasha Zverev where you are clearly talented and then you are right there. Um, some people just take time to build, and I mean, frankly, that's what the challengers are for, right? Yeah. Um, to allow and futures as well, just allow you to build kind of figure out who you are as a player and and that's what's so unique about it is that you do see these players who end up going I mean Alejandro Tabillo I yeah. mean what what he's doing right now I actually I remember saying to somebody in Tallahassee I, I I remember it clear as day he he won a match this guy was very impressed I'm just like he will never be top 100 guys killing it right now I was so wrong about that yeah. so wrong um, it is, that's the thing. You just, there are some guys who, if you are willing to put in that time and that effort and, and consistency of performance, more power to you. Yeah. Well, lots of power to you, Mike, for, for being there for us in Acapulco. Any other sort of closing thoughts on what this, what this week has, has been like for you? And obviously we're recording this mid tournament. So we got this big blockbuster Nadal, sure. Medvedev match. There's still like good tennis ahead. Um, certainly. Um, but just, yeah, just overall reflections on what, what it's been like being there and, and seeing this the tour, this level of tour up close for you this week. Yeah, I, I can say personally, Ben, it is, I love, 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 love working the challengers. And I'm really excited about doing them again in April um, in, in a couple months. And and at the same time, I, I, I think people know I'm really passionate about tennis and especially seeing some of these, again, underrepresented stories, kind of seeing, seeing the light. And I think what has been so rewarding for me personally, um, and we, we started with this as well, Ben, but just seeing the passion for the sport here yeah. has been a truly eye-opening and heartwarming to see that there are in, in different pockets of the world and just that reminder that in different pockets of the world, you will just see an incredible fan base and incredible love for this sport. Um, and maybe too often we in the media, uh, and I'm looking at you, Ben, uh, no, I'm not actually, looking at you, but when we, <laughs> we focus, we focus on, you know, Oh, there's, there's nobody in the stands at this tournament and you know, it's an empty and, and, the point for that I'm trying to make is like the, the opportunity is there. Let's let's find where the, we can best showcase this sport so that the players uh, feel this incredible love because it's it is there. How can we kind of make the sport more accessible? These night starts are fantastic to be able to do it across multiple courts. Do we have that capability of doing that more, especially in the U.S.? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm I'm really energized by this trip because it's so much fun. And at the same time, I think the lasting thing for me was last night. Um, so Nadal's about to play Tommy Paul against somebody who I've known for a very long time, right? And Tommy, you could tell, was a little nervous. And I, I saw why because it was the first time for me personally that I had been five feet from Rafa as he's getting ready in the tunnel. 
and ju- doing those jumps that he's famous for, right? The ones with his knees out, yep. uh, and he jumps up with his his heels essentially up to his bum, and just and it's just like, holy hell, to be that close to Rafa. I'm still such a fan of the sport, Ben. It was just like goosebumps um, seeing it. So I I hope that that passion for the sport um, emanates out of Alcapulco, not not just from me, right? But like these fans are remarkable. They're having such a great time getting to see this incredible tennis. And I hope that just continues, especially as we head towards Indian Wells and I'm going to be down in Miami as well. Nice. Well, hopefully see you there. And yeah, thank so. you very much for being on here with us mike appreciate it anytime and man. yes so you you did a little bit of plugging earlier but let's replug your stuff behind the racket oh, yeah. podcast what anything else you got you got cooking you still twitching these days i haven't seen you on the twitch in a while no because i only do it at the challengers ah, gotcha. um but yes the behind the racket pod noah's playing some tennis again so it's very hard to track him down um and and do some pods but i i promise we'll get some in the next couple weeks but mike c tennis is where you can find me on on twitter and instagram and yeah i try my best to continue to interact with everyone cool cool well thank you well everyone should support you there and thank you to everyone supporting ncr also on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. I want to thank a couple of new backers since our last episode, three of them actually, uh, Julia Fromholtz, Robert Silverstein, and Ginny Ehrlich. So thank you to all of them. And thank you to our Slam Champ backers. We thank every episode. They are Susanna W., Sean Mulroy, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Jonathan Weinbaum, Sean Simeon, James Hindle, Antonio Maycumber, Anna Valinder, Timothy Liu, and Ashley Keel, and our Go backers, Pam Shriver and J-O-D, patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. Go follow, go follow Mike C. Tennis as well. And Mike, thank you for being on here. Adios, muchacho. <laughs> Denada? De yeah, that's, that works. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Perfecto.